Our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, the book of Second Chronicles, that uh, place in the Old Testament that we are most familiar with, Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 12, tells the story of King Jehoshaphat, and it reads like this. After these things, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Meonites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and to proclaim a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple, this temple that bears your name, and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them, and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The particularist poet, essayist, and storyteller, Anne Lamont, who this weekend celebrates her 31st year of sobriety, uh, has applied her essentialist and particularist point of view to the discipline of prayer. In her book on prayer, she she defines and describes the three essential forms of prayer that shape our lives. Help. Thanks. Wow. Leave it to Anne Lamont to make things simple. In the midst of a political crisis, the chronicler tells the story of Jehoshaphat, tells it from the royal point of view, tells it in a way that grates on our political sensibilities in the 21st century, 
but tells it nonetheless as a story of help, thanks, and wow. Tells the story of King Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, that inconsistent sinner saint of Judean kings, as he prays this essential prayer. In 2 Chronicles 20, we read about a good king in trouble. The chronicler tells the backstory of Jehoshaphat in chapter 19. He he is the crown prince under Ahab, that most notorious uh, and terrible of kings in Judah. And um, as he becomes king, he has a mixed review. In chapter 19, we read that while he is diligent at calling for uh, the idol worship that was part of Judean life, the, the, the kind of everyday uh, syncretism of his era, where uh, maybe the God of our fathers is a good God to follow, but you know what? There are other gods that the other nations follow. Let's follow them too, just to cover our bases. Jehoshaphat was good in the eyes of the chronicler at putting that kind of religiosity down. He wasn't so good at the weightier matters of seeking justice, doing good, walking humbly with God. Until we read in chapter 20, how a local political crisis begins to boil over. And it's not just an everyday political crisis. It's personal. Verse 1, all these nations, Ammon, Eden, and Moab, against, not Judah, against Jehoshaphat. He's named This is not just a geopolitical struggle between nation-states trying to jockey for position. These are are countries that are ticked off at the leader of the other side. It's personal. And we all know that when politics becomes personal, it tends to become ugly. And so here we are in the midst of a really ugly situation for Jehoshaphat. He responds to it in verses 2 through 4 in a variety of ways. First, he gets alarmed, which I suppose if you're facing a political crisis, if you're facing ugliness in your life, getting alarmed is a pretty good first response. Fortunately, he doesn't stay there. He doesn't get stuck in being alarmed. He calls the people together in community, but... In doing that, he fasts. He initiates a habit for listening to God. He lays aside all the other concerns, all the other issues, all the other things in the royal schedule, all the banquets and meals and, and, and gatherings and receptions And he focuses on listening 
to Yahweh. This has not been a common practice for Jehoshaphat. He's, he's much better at public proclamations to chop down idols across the country. But now he is quieting himself, focusing. And in doing so, we read that people come from every village in the nation to support him in this ugly political situation, this personal crisis that he's gotten into. And he begins to pray. And in verses 5 through 12, we have this royal prayer of Jehoshaphat. And it begins with an acknowledgement of the God of wow. The God who has done so much in calling his people together. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand it. Wow! God, you're, you're bigger than the royal crisis. You're bigger than the mess. I'm in. Jehoshaphat's wow is an acknowledgement that God is bigger and beyond the challenges and the crises we face. But he doesn't end there. In verses 7 through 9, there's a prayer of thanksgiving. There's a, there's a recognition of national memory. Now it's told through a certain slant. Remember, this book is called Chronicles. It's a royal history. It's an official history. So it's about who wins and who loses. And so we read this royal history about how God promised the land. God gave us this land. God destroyed all of our enemies, except these enemies, which he told us not to do anything with. But now they're bugging us, so what do we do about that? But it's a prayer of thanksgiving that, God, you have called us as your people. There's an attempt to remember the past. Thanksgiving is about memory. When we gather as Americans for our Thanksgiving celebrations in November, we do so to remember a certain story in the past. A story that is probably just totally fiction. The, the notion that native peoples came with roasted turkeys and corn on the cob and mashed potatoes for the pilgrims to eat probably didn't happen that way. But we remember a story back in the distant memories of our past when peoples of two different worlds for a brief shining moment connected. And then we screwed it up. But we remember. And we take that one day a year to remember that story and to give thanks. 
quickly, though, because there's football on at three. <laughs> Giving thanks is about remembering the past. And Jehoshaphat does that here. And then, and only then, he pivots to help. And he asks for help in a, for his nation in the midst of a personal crisis. And we don't have the whole backstory, but one can imagine that Jehoshaphat got Judah into trouble with these countries simply by being, well, Jehoshaphat. By being the knucklehead that he was. And he recognizes that. And he says, God, help. These, these people are coming to take us out. Will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Help, the prayer of help, is a prayer of surrender. The prayer of help isn't, God, tell you what, I got this. I mean, I'd appreciate a pat on the back or, you know, tap on the head. I got it under control, God. I just want you to know a prayer of help is, I got no clue. I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. That's all I got. And that's how Jehoshaphat prays. Against the ancient, ancestral, and local enemies in the desert. The ones who are always up to no good. The idol-worshipping, Israel-hating, dried-out meanness that seeks to destroy the people of God and the kingdom of Judah. Jehoshaphat prays. Wow. Thanks. Help. think for us to pray that way, for us to adopt that as a model of prayer, means, first of all, that we recognize that whatever crisis we're facing, whatever, whatever's in our face today, that doesn't get resolved as a game of solitaire. We try really hard as Christians to keep our problems to ourselves. We couch that in a lot of different ways. Oh, I don't want to be a burden on anybody. I don't want to burden anyone. Oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. I got it under control. Oh, it's, it is what it is. We come up with all kinds of window dressing to keep our crises locked in the cabinet where it only eats at our soul. How brave and noble of us. Crisis isn't resolved as a game of solitaire. Alarm gets resolved through discernment in community. The alarms of our lives, the bells that get rung, get answered when we adopt the habits of listening to God and listen together. It's why the discipline of confession is important. Not 
so that you're rattling off your sins to somebody who says, well, okay, go, go pray, you know, 14 Hail Marys and it'll all be fine. The discipline of confession isn't that. The discipline of confession is coming to terms with ourselves, with a friend, and saying, yeah, I'm broken, and I'm, and I'm busted, and I got nothing, God. My eyes are on you. And as we do that kind of discernment work, personally and in community, that's when the resources to deal with the crises in our lives begins to develop and grow. That's when we plant the seeds of overcoming those who would take us out. That means developing a way of prayer, a life of prayer, Discipline of prayer. And prayer in crisis requires some wow. It requires us acknowledging God's majesty in the midst of our crisis. In the very moment when, frankly, we feel suckered. We feel like, are you kidding me? I am, I am totally in over my head and I'm supposed to acknowledge that God is good? God isn't good. God's mean to me. If our view of God is that he's a cosmic Santa Claus, then yeah, that view of God is, is a problem because Santa Claus only brings good things. In our culture, Santa Claus doesn't even bring lumps of coal anymore. <laughs> Santa Claus is always good because we're always good, right? Not so much. But to pray, wow, means that we acknowledge God's majesty in the very moment when it is hardest to do so. When it is hardest for us to say, yeah, there is something bigger than my situation right now. There is someone bigger than my crisis today. Prayer in crisis requires some wow. Prayer in crisis requires some thanks. It's about having a memory. About remembering God's mighty acts in the past. Okay, I'm going to bore you for a minute. This is why church history is so doggone important. Because the history of the church is the history of how God's people have listened to God in the past and responded Sometimes they have responded brilliantly, and other times not so much. But to look at our past, whether it's the very narrow past of the 30 plus years this church has been together, or the 240 plus years that the brethren in Christ have been a denomination, or the 500 years that there has been a reformation of the church in the West, or the 2,000 years that the church of Jesus has been thriving around the world, or the 4,000 years that God has had a people. History is important. I know there are STEM majors out there who are going to just take 
all kinds of issue with me. But I got to tell you, if we don't remember the past, we are doomed to repeat it. If we don't remember how God has been faithful, we will not expect God to be faithful today. And so thanks is the time in which we remember God's faithfulness in our lives. And then prayer in crisis requires some help. Not help in terms of, hey, God, I, I, got, this, I got this covered. I just need a little boost. You know, can, can you spot me? But it's, I am, I'm lost and all I've got is my eyes on you, God. That's all that there is. Prayer in crisis. Help is asking God to, well, be God. It's us, it's us laying aside our capacities and being challenged by the capacity of the God of the universe to speak into our lives. And frankly, that terrifies us. Because to place ourselves in that place of dependency, for us, good Westerners who have our act together, who think that the history that is yet to unfold will just be greater and greater and better and better, for us to say we need God when we've got it all put together? Yeah, that's going to be a challenge for us. But the promise of Jehoshaphat's prayer is, number one, we don't have it all put together. And Jehoshaphat, C-minus king that he was, could still go to God in that moment and say, all I've got is my eyes on you. Help. So this morning, some questions for us to think about and reflect on and maybe have a bit of a conversation. First of all, who are you praying with? You know, there is a, there is a need in our lives for us to, as Jesus said, go into the closet and pray privately. That's important. But Jehoshaphat didn't do that. Jehoshaphat stood in the new courtyard that he had authorized to be remodeled. Solomon's temple is looking long in the tooth by Jehoshaphat's time. And he had uh, gone through an infrastructure project and had, uh, had gotten the, the program planners there at the, at, at the royal office. I'm looking at John Alfred here. And, and had gotten those folks to create the timeline and do, do the um, amazing work of remodeling the, uh, the courtyard of the temple. The place where that people saw first when they wanted to meet God. That new courtyard, he prays there. He prays with his people and for his people. Who are you praying with? Who are you praying for? 
Who are we praying with? Who do we pray for? Secondly, the question simply, who are you praying to? Are, are, are you praying to Santa Claus? To, to give you what you want? To make, to make life great again? Or are you praying to the God of the universe? No pun intended. Are you praying to the God of the universe for Him to rule? That's really the fundamental question. Who are you praying to? A plastic Jesus? Or a living God? You know, we've had young people come through this congregation who, who grew up Muslim. And Sahar was, was one of the young women who has come through uh, our, our body. And she told the story of having a dream one night, a dream of Jesus coming to her and saying, so what will it be? Do you want to serve a dead Muhammad or a risen Savior? Now, again, us rational Westerners, we kind of hear that story and go, sure, whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, But she didn't know. This was was one of those signs and wonders things that kind of falls outside our circle of rationality. And she responded to that and said, yes to Jesus. Who is it that we pray to? A plastic God or living risen Savior? Given that, what's the last wow you acknowledged in your life? Not, not what was the last beautiful piece of natural environment. Not, not the last time you stood at the ocean and went, wow but the last time you stood in the presence of God and said, wow. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time you said thanks? Not not thanks because I've, you know, I was born on third base and I thought I hit a triple, which is what most of us have experienced. I mean, in terms, of, in terms of the people of planet Earth, most of us in this room were born on third base and we thought we hit a triple. And we live with that kind of privilege and that, and that sort of sense of, if it is to be, it's up to me. When was the last time you said thanks to the God who brought us through the dark time? The God who took us when we had nowhere else to go and welcomed us. The God who met us in our worst screw-ups and said, yeah, you're still my child. I'm with you. When was that thanks spoken? And then what's the last help 
you cried out on behalf of someone else? When was the last time you said, God, my friend needs your help? God, my children need your help. My spouse needs your help. My neighbors need your help. My enemy needs your help. When was the last time? When was the last help we cried out on behalf of someone else? Some questions for us to think about. One more thing. Henri Nouwen, who I trust on prayer probably more than anyone, writes, the crisis of our prayer life is that our minds may be filled with ideas of God while our hearts remain far from Him. We are good in Western Christianity at thinking good thoughts about God. God's a nice guy. He really is. a He's a jovial, bonhomme friend. You know, he's just... He's just all right. But our hearts remain far from Him. Our hearts haven't glommed on to His. And our lives, while we live nice lives, we don't necessarily live transformed lives. Crisis of our prayer life is that our minds may be filled with ideas of God while our hearts remain far from Him. Jehoshaphat jumped into the reality that he could no longer just think good thoughts about God. He couldn't just do another public works program to appease the followers of Yahweh. He couldn't just as we used to say, put on the style. He had to own his faith. He had to take God seriously. There wasn't any other alternative. Does it really take the hordes of enemies crashing down on us before we are ready to take God seriously? with prayers of wow and thanks and help? Or can we find ways together to be a people of prayer, passionate people of prayer, whose hearts seek regularly, always, to be close to God?